0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're currently in a teaching series called Ask Anything. Each of us carry questions, doubts, and uncertainty that emerge from the current culture and from living in a broken world. In this series, we are looking at what God's word says about some of the questions we face as followers of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, good morning morning, Harvest family. Uh, my name is Larry Geisler. I get the privilege to serve here as our pastor of Harvest Students and Harvest Young Adults. And it's just great to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into God's word uh, in a minute. You're going to need a Bible. We're going to open up to Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, but real quick, before we, we jump in, uh, this week, there's a big thing happening this week and next week. There are a bunch of students and teachers and administrators who go back to school this week, if you can believe it, yes, the summer is already over. Is anyone else's mind blown by that? Yeah, mine is. But if you are um, a teacher, administrator, student going back to school in the next couple weeks, can you just raise your hand right where you are? And if you see somebody near you that is a student, teacher, administrator, please reach out a hand to them, place a hand on them. We're going to pray for each of these people right now that God would bless this school year, um, that the Lord would give them uh, the strength Uh, to endure whatever comes their way, that they would be a light for Christ in their community. So would you just join me um, in praying for all these people? Um, Father, we thank you uh, that you have blessed us with this this church family. And Lord, we thank you that each one of these students, each one of these teachers and administrators, God, you have uniquely planted them in the the school that, that you've placed them in. God, it is not a coincidence. It is, it is not a surprise that they are where they are. God, you have placed them there, them, there, them there with a unique purpose. And so, God, I pray as they're preparing this week that, God, you lift their eyes up to see you for who you are. That you are great, that you are mighty, and you go with them. And that whatever they encounter this year, God, they can know without a shadow of a doubt that, Lord, you are using their circumstances, their position to bring glory to your name. And so God, I pray that you allow them to be a light in those schools. I pray that, that they would proclaim the gospel of your son, Jesus, um, that people um, would come to know who you are because of the way that they are a light in the world and that you would be glorified um, through their being there. God, would you use them? Would you bless this year? We lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 We know that Man, school can be difficult. Kids can be difficult. So Lord, be with, be with all these teachers and administrators. Be with those students. Um, but guys, I'm, I'm grateful to, to be back. Um, I've been begging for an opportunity to be up here to talk to you all because I have a bone to pick with our great pastor, Jeff Bucknum. This man has come up here many times and has had a few choice words to say about my beloved Disney World. And I just, I feel like we need to set this straight because it feels like he's coming at me a little bit. I think that they are actually, whether you have realized it or not, personal attacks. It is known amongst our staff and our church that I love Disney World, and he continually comes up here and says that you should not care about it. I'm going to convince you otherwise. Can we do that? Okay. Um, here, the reason I'm doing this is we have, we're going to be talking about something today that has a little bit of what we would call circular um, arguing involved. An argument that's based on something, and you argue all these things, and it ultimately comes back to the basis on which you're making the argument. So I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to try to convince you that Disney World is the most magical, is the happiest, is the best place on planet Earth. I might not be able to do that, but at least it's better than all the other amusement parks out there. All right, so here's the thing. Who likes food? Amen. All right. If you go to Disney World, there is a little place I, well, everyone calls Epcot. You can experience cuisine, some of the best cuisine from 11 different countries in one day. You want a solid porterhouse steak from Canada? You go to the Canada Pavilion. You, you want some quality Italian pasta, you head over to the Italy, Italy Pavilion. You're getting all these amazing cuisine and churros in one day. Amazing. Okay, food? That's not it. You're out there for the, the best experience. I want my mind to be blown. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Avatar with all those blue people running around on Pandora. Pandora is real. I don't know if you knew that. It's in in Disney World, it's in the Animal Kingdom. And so you get get to Pandora and you get to simulate flying on the back of a flying banshee dragon thing. You are flying through the trees, the waters, the lands, the, the floating islands of Pandora on the back of a banshee, and I tell you, it feels real. That is pretty impressive. Okay, Uh, maybe you just are about the nostalgia. You like to remember the old days when Cinderella and Snow White and all these things came out. In this Disney world, the Magic Kingdom is the place where you get to be a kid again. You get to remember the simpler days and you will feel like a child. You will be happy. It's wonderful. Now, I could go on all day about trying to convince you that this is a place that you should love. But at no point in this discussion, in this argument, am I going to get off of the topic of Disney World. If I want to convince you that it's great, I'm going to talk about the thing itself because that is what makes it great. I'm not going to go talk about another park and compare it. I'm not going to talk about, definitely not going to talk about what Pastor Jeff says about it. I'm going to tell you about what it is. Because the basis of the argument that Disney World is the best park out there is Disney World. And same thing if I were to convince you of something different. Um, this is uh, something that gets thrown out around a lot. Is, is water wet? You ever, you ever ponder that? Is water wet? Gosh, I don't know. Well, if I, I believe that it is. I think water is wet. And if I were to convince you that water is wet, I'm going to tell you everything that I possibly know about water. Because water is the very basis of this argument. And so we have a question today. We have a question that's been posed to us. And and throughout the entire summer, we've been saying, ask anything. Ask whatever you want about following Jesus. Ask anything you want about faith and how it coincides with our culture. And we've been answering these questions. But what do we do every day? single time that we have a question that's raised as we go to the Bible. We go to the Scripture to answer that question. Now, what about, what about the Bible? Well, somebody asked, can I trust the Bible? Should I trust the Bible? And I'm sure they've been very frustrated with us every week going back to the Bible and we haven't answered their question. Well, here we go. If that's you, We're answering your question today. But here's what we need to know. We are going to answer this question of should we trust the Bible from the Bible? Because if the Bible is what it claims to be, the word of God, the very foundation of the truth of the world, that is the basis by which we're going to prove that it is. That is what we go back to to discern. Okay. How trustworthy is Scripture? And so we are. We're going to discuss this from Scripture. But I know from my past experiences that sometimes we don't know enough even about what the Bible is to feel confident in what the Bible says. And so I think back to when I was... Graduating high school, I went off to college. I went to Liberty University. I had been raised in church. Like many of you students here sitting in church, you wish I would stop talking. That was me. I was where you were, all right? Now, I was somebody that was generally regarded as knew a lot about faith. I grew up in the church. I I, I volunteered and things because my parents raised me that way. But I got to college and my very first day in a Bible class, my brain exploded. Because what I found out changed my life forever. That John the Baptist is not the same person as the Apostle John. Can you believe that? (laughs) I did not know. I did not know. Somebody who was raised in the church, reading the scriptures every single week. And there were basic things about the Bible that I had no clue about. And so I want to start with some basic things that you should know about the Bible. They're going to inform everything else that we talk about, and they're going to hopefully bolster your faith in the fact that it is true and trustworthy. So a few things that you should know about the Bible, the first one being the Bible is historical. The question that always used to run through my mind as a kid is, what if someone just made this up? What if this is no different than any of the fairy tales that I've been, I've been raised to, to believe too, that I've, that I've had read to me at bedtime? What makes this different? Well, we go through each book of the Bible, and we, we usually tell you uh, this was written by so-and-so. If you go to the book of Daniel, it was written by Daniel. If you go to the the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, they're written by Moses. You go to half of the New Testament, you say it was written by Paul. These are real people, real documented historical people who wrote these things down. And so when we talk about scripture, we're talking about history, we're talking about real events real people, real problems. Now, we know this because there are real historical figures mentioned in Scripture. You look in the New Testament, you read the Gospel of Luke, this guy went through great lengths to talk about all sorts, sorts of historical people, all sorts of events, that you would have no question that the things he's talking about are real. Hold them up against everything else that you know about this time in history. This is happening right in there. You go to the Old Testament, you you see things about, oh, King Xerxes, King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, real people. And they are embedded in the stories of scripture. Why? Because the scripture is history. Not only that, the, the very events that are explained in the Bible are historic events. Like it's not a question that at one point in history, the Jewish people were enslaved to the Egyptians. Historically proven, we know that to be true. Well, where do we find out about that? Well, it's in the Bible. Obviously the Jewish people aren't slaves today. So how did they get out? The Red Sea, the plagues, God led them out. And so the Bible is historical. Now, the second thing is the Bible is prophetic. Now, like no other historical document, like nothing else that's ever exist, the Bible, because it is the wisdom of a sovereign God of the universe, has predicted future events 100% accurately. Hundreds of different future events predicted hundreds of years before they would occur. What do I mean by that? Well, many of them have to do with Jesus, the coming Messiah, that the Old Testament is pointing towards everywhere that you turn. Who is this going to be? What are they going to be like? Well, actually, Micah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, he says something very specific about this Messiah. Who They don't even know who it's going to be yet. He's not even here. But he says, oh, but you, oh, Bethlehem. That looks familiar, right? Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, from this small town, this nothing town, Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Who else can that be said to be true of? The Christ, Jesus, our Messiah. Well, even more so, written about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Who else can that be true of? Who else is documented that was born of a virgin and is claiming to be God in flesh? Well, Jesus, the Messiah, and it's predicted right here 700 years before it would ever occur. The Bible, without a doubt, is prophetic. Next, the Bible is without contradiction. Now this this is quite incredible. When you look at the grand scheme of 66 books of the Bible, written by about 40 different authors over a span of 2,000 years, there is nothing else like that. And Not even does it just exist that each one of the 66 books supports everything in the other 65. Now, you're free to do your own research on this. You're free to go digging through the scripture on your own. But these words from 40 different people at very different times in history are completely harmonious They support the same exact truths that are taught in every single one of them. Why? Because they are written by the same God who does not change. The Bible is without contradiction, and the Bible has been preserved. So we're talking about, this is an ancient book. This thing is old, like old, old. The Bible is way older than we give it credit for sometimes. See, it's it's been over 4,000 years since Moses began writing the first books of the Bible. It's hard to comprehend 40 years sometimes. We're talking about 4,000 years. And along since then, there have been all these other books of the Bible that have been written. And there are about 20,000 different manuscripts or copies of the words of Scripture that we have today, that have been perfectly preserved from way back in ancient antiquity. And it's not like, oh, we have one paper that we we place all of our trust in. It's like, no, there's lots of, of copies because this was important. God has preserved his word, that we would have it today, we would be able to study it, and that he would be able to reveal himself to us through his Holy Spirit, In the the preaching of scripture. So the Bible has been preserved. So these are things you should know about the Bible. Basic things that already lead us to believe like, okay, I can lean in a little bit. I can lean in to the fact that this is truthful and that this is trustworthy. And so today we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so you can open your Bibles there if you haven't already, but here's what we're going to find. Um, This is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. Uh, He's leading the church in Ephesus. He's like, Timothy, you need to know some things so that you can continue to trust without a doubt that the word of God is true, that the word of God is trustworthy, and that you can stake your entire life, every decision you make, on the fact that it is good and true. And so Timothy. There are some false prophets who are coming. There are some people who are going to lead you to believe. That some of the things in scripture. Are not as they appear. They are not true. And that you should believe something else. But Timothy. You need to remember. These specific things. And these are going to be things that are helpful for us to remember as well. When our belief in the the infallibility of God's word, that it is 100% perfect and true, we need to remember these things. So here's what Paul says to Timothy. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. The reason that Paul is making such an emphasis here on these things, is that for Timothy and for each one of us, that we not just at one point in in our lives believe that this is true, but that for the entirety of our lives, we live as if the commandments of scripture, the history of scripture, the encouragement, the warnings of scripture are all true. And we continue to walk in that truth. So continue, Timothy, in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing what? Knowing from who you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scripture. So The first thing that Paul decides to go to is not an apologetic. It is not a uh, scientific argument. It is not a philosophical argument. It is Paul, or Timothy, do you remember who showed you the scripture? And he is referencing his mom and his grandmom who have appeared in earlier letters that Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, don't you remember that your mother and your grandmother showed you that this stuff is true? They trained you to believe it from a young age. Why on earth would you not place your trust in them? The first thing that we we see in, in Paul's encouragement here is that I can trust those who shared God's word with me. I can trust them. And so for me, um, I think back to my childhood. I know that my parents are the people that I would place my trust in. I know that they love me. I know that the things that they train me up in are for my good. For example, my, my dad loved me enough that from a very young age, he trained me up in the ways of righteousness. He raised me to be a diehard Yankees fan. Yes. Yes. And I'm better off for it. 27 world championships. I'm a better man because I'm a Yankees fan. You can feel free to believe what you want to believe about that. But all jokes aside, there is something about what the people in our lives claim as the most important thing that we are to incorporate into our lives. The most important thing that we are supposed to devote our lives to. And so think about the person who led you to the truth of God's word. The person who showed you for the first time, uh, you are in great and desperate need of a savior. That there is a God Who is real and who loves you and wants to forgive you of all the wrong that you've ever done to him? Who is the person who showed you these things? Can you trust them? Well, I think about one, my parents. We used to read a psalm before bed every single night. That every single night before I went to bed, I'm hearing from God's word what is true about his character. I'm hearing about the ways that he is just and he is holy, that he punishes wrongdoers, that he has a steadfast love. All these things, I'm, I'm being raised and shown by the people who love and care about me most that this is true. And I think about one person in particular. Um, growing up, I was involved in the student ministry at my church, and there was a lovely older woman with bright cool looking red hair who gave her time to students. Her name is Carol, Carol, not Carol, because we're from Philly, it's Carol. So Carol would have myself and a bunch of my friends in her basement every single Sunday night. You know what we did? Uh, We sang songs to the Lord and we studied the Bible. Sunday night Bible study every single week in high school. And there was not a single Sunday that I stepped in there and did not leave without Carol picking up the Bible and saying, we need to be in the word. You need to be in the word. We need God's word for our lives. And that is now imprinted in my brain and it will never go away. And you know why I can trust what she was saying is I know how deeply Carol cares about me. Carol to this day still sends me text messages saying, Larry, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your ministry. I'm praying um, for all the things that you're doing. I'm praying for you personally as a person. Now, There is no other reason for anyone to do that other than they are so convinced that God's word is what I need more than anything else in my life. You can trust the people who have shared God's word with you. Now, second thing here. So we've been acquainted with these sacred writings The scriptures. So what do they do? What does God's word do? How can I trust what it produces in my life? Well, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise. Now, what kind of wise? This isn't wise to know what I should do with my stocks. Not wise to know what players I should pick for my fantasy football team this year. This is a a different kind of wise. This is wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Now, if you're in this room and you have made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you have placed your faith in him, that he is to save you from the eternal death that we are bound for because of our sin. Simply because God's son came and died in our place, was raised from the dead on the third day, and the father now offers forgiveness because he sees the righteousness of Christ in us when we put our faith in him. If you have done that, if you have been brought to faith in Christ, where on earth does the truth that has led you to that decision come from? It comes from God's word, apart from God's word. How are you to know that you are a sinner in need of a savior? Romans 3:23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Where else do you find that? Apart from God's word, how do you know that there's a free gift of salvation? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where else do you find that? How else is the Holy Spirit illuminating to you what is really true and removing the scales from your eyes that you would have faith to believe that Jesus has come to save you? It is because we have the truth of God's word, it is because of this truth—the fact that every word in the Scripture is true—that we've been brought to faith in Christ. I often tell uh, my students when I get to baptize a student, it's like the best thing ever. But I often tell them, uh, "Remember this day. Remember the day that you're getting dunked in the tub and getting lifted back up. That you're making a decision." right now, that I am following Jesus forever. And so later on in your life, when that gets a little bit harder, when you're wondering if it's worth it to keep going, look back at the day that you got baptized because that day you said Jesus is worth following. And Jesus is going to be worth following forever. In the same way, when there are questions raised of what the scripture would teach us. When there are competing beliefs, false doctrine that press up against God's word, and I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is trustworthy. Remember that it is this truth that the Holy Spirit has used to lead you to faith in Christ. And if God has used his word to produce that in your life, can we not trust it For everything else that we could ever encounter, God's word is worth trusting because it has led us to faith. Now, third reason that we should trust the scripture is because it's God's very words. Look at this scripture, all scripture, all scripture meaning Old Testament. New Testament, every story, every law in the Old Testament, every encouragement, every warning, all scripture is breathed out by God. Every single word breathed out by the very God of the universe. Now, I'm, I'm up here. And I'm breathing out some words. Some of you might find some of it to be nonsense. I'm talking about Disney World. I'm talking about the New York Yankees. If you caught me after the service, I'd talk about my wife or I'd talk about the um, Chelsea game that's happening later today. Any soccer fans in the room? These are the things that I would talk about because they're valuable to me. They tell you something about my character, what I'm interested in. When I breathe out Any kind of of words, whether they have significance or not, they do tell you something about me. They do tell you what I am about as a person. And so if you want to know what I am about, you're going to listen intently to the things that I say because they're being breathed out by me. So what then is the significance if Every word of scripture was breathed out by God. Even if God used a person like Paul or a person like Daniel or a person like Moses to write it, it is God's Holy Spirit that inspired them. And it was him that breathed out these words, that breathed out the warnings, that breathed out the encouragement. Something very fascinating is written in John chapter 1 about the Word. And we're going to see how God himself is described as the Word. See, John is going to begin to tell us the gospel of Christ. And what he's going to say is, In the beginning, before anything else, was the Word. And the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. And what did this word do? All things were made through him. That's the kind of power in the word. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in the word, Was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. See, this word is speaking about Jesus himself. He is described as the word. And John goes on in verse 13 to say that the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Now, if Jesus is described as the Word of God, and from the beginning of time, through the Word, created all things that were made, through the Word, brought light into darkness, what can this Word not do? This word has the power to do anything because it is the very power of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. The word of God is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What else can do that? And no creature, no one of us, no one anywhere in the world, no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So he goes from talking about the word to talking about God because they are the same. This word reveals God. And if we are to give an account to God, Based on what are we to give him an account for? We're to give him an account based on his revealed word to us. This is God's very words to us and we can trust what he has said. Fourth reason, last reason we can trust the Bible is that it is, Profitable. The Bible is profitable. Back to 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Meaning it's good for us. It is good for you to know this. It is good for you to know what God has said. Why? Well, here are the important things that this word is going to do in us. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible proves itself to us in that it produces fruit. If you have been under the teaching of the Bible, if you have read the Bible yourself, if you have gone to a Bible study and this word of God has produced a change in your life for good, if you have profited from the truth of God's word, would that not further ingrain in you? You know what? Yeah. This word is worth trusting. If I've sat under teaching and God's used that to produce something good in my life, I know I can trust it. If I've been corrected by someone with the truth of God's word, I can know that it is trustworthy because it's produced good change and good fruit in my life. If I've grown in my ability to live righteously, that the sin in my life is being replaced by the righteousness of God because of the truth of his word, there's no other way that could happen. And so I only further grow and trust in what God has revealed and said to us. Are you you able to, to do good works for the kingdom? Have you been encouraged by God's word to go and to make his glory known to the world? Where does that happen apart from God's word? God's word is profitable and so we can know that it's trustworthy. And now, if this word is true, if this word is trustworthy, what are we supposed to do? Based on all this, what am, what am I supposed to do with it? Well, Uh, The first one is I should probably know what it says. I should know what the holy, sovereign God of the universe has revealed to me about himself. I should spend quite a bit of time trying to figure out what all this means and what the implications are for my life we talked about Jesus himself being the word. And in Hebrews chapter 2 the author kind of gives us a warning. He's talking about the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is greater than all the prophets, he's greater than all the angels and we were supposed to trust what the angels and the prophets said. Now what about what the word himself has said? And he says Hebrews 2:1 therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we fall away from it. We must pay much closer attention to what God has revealed to us about himself. And so why would that be? Well, because there are some other things that we should do when it comes to God's word. Um, Secondly, We should fear its consequences. If these words are true and trustworthy, what should we think about the consequences that are described in this word? In Matthew, Jesus says some things about what is coming for all of us, he says, for the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come. One day, Jesus is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then, he will repay. He will repay. Each person, according to what, He has done. Each one of us will be repaid for what we have done in this life. We are going to give an account of what we have done. Well, what kind of account? How is God going to repay me? Well, Matthew 10 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't worry about anything else in the world because it doesn't have any etern- eternal significance. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. These are the consequences of not paying attention to what God has said to us. If we don't take our sin seriously, if we don't trust God completely with our lives. And so if this is true, if we have a healthy fear of these consequences, if we were to fall away from the faith, then thirdly, what should we do with the Bible? We should obey its commandments. We should obey the commandments of Scripture. Because if these are the kinds of consequences that are coming for me, if I'm not walking with the Lord, if I'm not in right standing with Him, if I'm not actually saved, I should look far more closely at what it means to be a child of God, of what it means to be somebody who's an ambassador for Him, and what it means for me to carry the spirit of God, wherever I go, that I would bring glory to his name. Because what does the scripture command? Well, it commands that we lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, that we might finish this race. Scripture has made it clear to us it's not good enough to say at one point that the Bible is true to at one point say that Jesus is who he says he is, that forever, until the very end, we continue on. The Bible says that the wicked, the evildoers, those who have not repented of their faith will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So how often are we repenting? We should obey the commandments of Of Scripture. Now, the fourth and the best thing that we get to do with the Bible is we get to find hope in its promises. See, there are things to be warned about. There are things to take seriously and to obey, but they are not without hope that is greater than anything you could possibly find in the world. And if this word is completely, 100% true and trustworthy, it's sometimes hard to believe that these promises can be true because they're just that good. That the things that the scripture promises to us are beyond all comparison of what the world can offer. But if we're not in the word, we may not even know what they are we may be missing out on the greatest hope that the Lord would want to instill in our lives. See, if I wasn't in the Word, I wouldn't know this, Romans 8, 1 and 2, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That no matter my failure no matter the shame that I feel. If I am in Christ, there is no condemnation that when God looks at you, he is not condemning you. He sees the image of his son with whom he is well pleased. There's no condemnation because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You don't have to be the sinner you were anymore. You don't have to view yourself that way anymore because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is true because it is God's word. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The God of the universe, the creator, is going to strengthen me, is going to uphold me. Man, that will carry me on. But what a shame it would be if I didn't know that that was true. Because I didn't know it was in God's word. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome The world. What does it mean for you next time that you're having a little bit of trouble? That you're stuck in a situation and you're feeling anxious. You're feeling upset. Well, God says that we can have peace because that very thing of the world he has overcome. That will change the way that I live in the midst of that situation. But what a shame if I didn't know that that was promised to me in God's word. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In our suffering, in our pain, in our loss, the Lord, the sovereign God of the universe, is near. Near. But what if we were thinking that God was far? That would be a shame. But when we stand on the promises of God's word, it changes everything when we know what is there. Lastly, 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us. Preparing us for what? For an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. That whatever we are walking through, the most painful day of our entire lives, what is it? A light momentary affliction. Why? Because what is waiting for us is an eternal weight of glory. One that is beyond all comparison of anything you could ever experience or comprehend in this world. And that is 100% true. That is 100% trustworthy because that is God's word. We can trust it. But when we know what it says, it changes everything. It will change our lives. Through God's Holy Spirit, he will transform our minds. He will renew our minds. He will change everything about us from the inside out. When we allow these words, God's words, to soak into our hearts, But it only happens when we take the time to really know what it says. When we take time to sit under the teaching of God's word, when we take time to study God's word ourselves, when we take time to be in a Bible study with other believers, that is when we learn the truth of God's word and allow him the opportunity to change us with it because his word is living. Active, sharper than any two edged sword. And so, if we truly trust God's word, let us prove it by soaking it in, by seeking it out at every opportunity, learning as much as we possibly can, so that we would know our loving and gracious God more deeply. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, where would we be if we didn't have these words about you that you've revealed to us? God, we would be lost. We would be without hope. We would be without guidance. But God, we are grateful that you have given us this gift, and it is available to us available to us at our fingertips whenever we need it. So God, would you give us a great, great love for the truth of your word? Would you help us to see the ways that it has changed us? Would you help us to see the ways that it does give us hope? Would you help us to see the warnings you have placed in our life that we would not fall away from our love for you? God, we need your word. Would you give us a desire for it? Would your Holy Spirit enlighten its truth to us? And God, would you use it to transform our lives and to transform this church that you would be glorified here? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel Podcast.